Amen. Isn't it great to be able to sing it as well? And why is it well with our souls? It's a great question. Hope you have an answer. See if we'll have an answer at the end of the service. It is well. For those of you who maybe didn't check your religious calendar this morning, it's Pentecost Sunday. And for those of you who are wondering what that is, um, that, that is not necessarily uh, the Azusa Street Revival in the early 1900s, although that was a Pentecostal movement, but it goes farther back than that. It actually predates Christianity. Pentecost is actually a Jewish festival, Shavuot. Shavuot. Did I say that right, Aaron? Shavuot. Historically and symbolically, Pentecost related to the... There's a couple of different aspects to the celebration of Pentecost. One of them is the celebration of uh, God giving His law to the children of Israel. So when when Passover happened uh, in Egypt and then God delivered His people through the Red Sea... Fifty days after that Passover experience, Moses ascended Mount Sinai, and God delivered to Moses uh, the law, the Ten Commandments, his instructions to his people, of which he was to carry back to his, his people that he was leading and reveal to them the words of God. And so throughout the history since that time, there is a celebration or an honor of God revealing his law, revealing his word to his people. And there would be, um, in different, different parts of the world, um, those who celebrate God, Jew, Jewish believers or Jewish followers of God would uh, read the law, study it. They might stay up all night and immerse themselves in the different teachings of, the, of, of God through the written word in the Old Testament and celebrate God's revelation of his instructions and his, his words and his laws to his people. There's also another um, celebration that's attached to that, and it's the celebration of provision. Um, The grain harvest, uh, at the end of the grain harvest, there would be a celebration of God's uh, physical provision to his people. And so the combination of his giving of the law, the word, the combination of his uh, outpouring of his blessing and provision on the people would, would consummate in this Pentecost celebration. And people from around Jerusalem, both close and far away, during the time of Jesus and during the time of the early church, or as the, before even the church was established, and beyond the establishment of the church, they would come to Jerusalem and they would celebrate God's provision of His law, His word, and His bounty. Intersecting that celebration... The early church, or the, 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 the early believers before the church was established, were also in Jerusalem. And we're going to jump into that story here in a minute. But before we jump into that story about Pentecost and Acts, so if you have your Bibles with you, you can begin to get ready for the story of Pentecost in Acts chapter 1 and then chapter 2. When I was in training school, when I was in our, our discipleship training school that we called Master's Commission 20-something years ago, we 
went to Eastern Europe uh, to, to do our outreaches. And so we flew into Germany, and then we took vans and crisscrossed across Europe through what was then Yugoslavia. It was actually just at the beginning of the civil war, the war that was going on in Yugoslavia, made our way to Bulgaria in the middle of the night, didn't speak the language, didn't understand the lettering. It was in Cyrillic. It wasn't even in the, the, the letters were not even normal. We had a translator who didn't speak uh, uh, Bulgarian. She spoke German. So we would go English to German to something else. Somewhere along the way, there was a translation. We'd find somebody who spoke German or English, and then they would translate for us, maybe sometimes two or three translations into conversation. We got there in the middle of the night, and our leader, Jimmy Seibert, um, had, had, a cont- had, had one contact that he had made through another German believer, and we pulled up to the hotel in Bulgaria in min- at midnight, and the man said, hello. He got in the car. We drove to a house. He said, this is where you go. And, every, and, and, so he said, and we said, how many people? Two. Okay, two people get out. And they'd get out, and we'd drive the van on down to the next place in the middle of the night. How many people? This is another place. One. And we'd get out, and we would go into the houses of believers that we had never met, and the van just drove off in the middle of the night, depending on the Holy Spirit as we were entering into our home. Wonderful hospitality. Wonderful love expressed. And then we got out the, the next morning. We went to the church. Um, that had had opened up their doors for us to meet in the mornings at, and we spent time worshiping God. And we called out to God, and we, we said, God, we've been praying for Bulgaria for all year. We had in, been interceding for Eastern Europe, and so we've been praying for these places before we even got there. We said, God, we've been praying for Bulgaria and these people. Lord, would you uh, allow your servants to be your witnesses of your grace and your salvation to this former Soviet Union country where public proclamation and the teachings of Christ were not known among most people that we are encountering. Would you do something that we cannot do ourselves? So there was 11 of us, including a couple of, of, of young children, and we went out to a street corner and we pulled out our guitars and we started singing in English. And lo and behold, in the middle of this busy town, people started to stop and pay attention to these weird people that spoke a different language, who were, had smiles on their faces, but they probably had no idea what we were doing. We were worshiping. We were calling calling for God to fill up this public space with His presence. And so as we sang and we played and we, we, we were crazy people, people started to gather. Hundreds of people started to gather. And you know how a crowd forms. Once 50 or 60 form, if there's 1,000 around, 1,000 are going to gather, aren't they? Because something's going on. Is it a fight? What's, what's going on? You know? And after we got... The full crowd there for the first outreach, and we did this day after day, many times during a day throughout the next couple of weeks. One of us would get on the mic with our 
hopefully good translator, had no idea how well they were translating, they were just translating, and we would preach a simple message of the gospel. And people started surrendering their lives to Jesus in the tens, in twenties, in fifties. People were falling down on their knees and they were weeping because they'd heard the gospel. We were not great preachers. I, I promised you that. I remember hearing every... I was the only great preacher there, I think, <laughs> in, in my own mind. But I remember listening to everybody else going, this is pathetic. <laughs> we came all the way around the world to do that? There was nothing great about our strumming in worship. There was nothing great about our presentation. And who knows how great the translation was after our not-so-great preaching. But the presence of the Holy Spirit was in that place because God loved those people and people's hearts were opened up to the message of Christ. And lots of people got saved. And not only did they not get, not only did they get saved, but some, somebody in our midst the first day, some crazy person like Jimmy Seibert or somebody said, and God not only saves, but he heals people. Who wants to get healed? And so we had people coming up with broken arms and, and uh, cancer and gross, uh, you know, warts. I, I ended up being the healer of warts. I have no idea why, other than the fact that I shared a testimony that God had healed me of a wart once, and so everybody with a wart would come and say, pray for my warts. I'm like, okay, in the name of Jesus. But ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you that the, the person, I'll just tell you two stories, and there's many more of these stories in, in, in that time, but I'll tell you two stories. One of it was of a, a young man who had a, 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 a hole in his foot that was turning um, was majorly infected and was starting to turn gangrene. That we had sent two of, of, our, of our team over to his house after one of our outreaches because they had heard about healings and they, he wanted to be healed. And they went to that house and they shared the love of Jesus with the family and then they laid hands on this young man's foot. And in their presence, that wound we had a story of a woman with cancer who was a friend of the family that I was staying in that asked if she could be prayed for because she was in the late stages of cancer and uh, she was dying soon and she, she, she believed that God was doing something powerful in our midst and she said, could you send somebody to pray for me? And so I don't know who went and prayed for her. One of our team members went to pray and laid hands on her, a simple prayer in the next day or a couple of days, whenever she went to the doctor before we left, she came back with tears saying, I've been healed of my cancer. And we had stories upon stories of that, not because of our great, we were a bunch of 20-year-olds. We had to learn how to share the gospel before we left. We, we, were, not, we were not anything special. We just had faith to believe that God loved these people so much that we were willing to spend our whole summer and all of our finances to get there to tell them about Jesus. And there was enough of God's heart and love for these people who had been, who had been under oppression and under, under a, 
a government that would not allow the name of Jesus to be preached or proclaimed in their midst. And there was a hunger among these people to know God. And God poured out His Spirit. Can I tell you that revival is awesome and overwhelming all at the same time? Because when hunger is exposed... God wants to fill and feed. And sometimes it takes a lot of energy and time to feed, but it is glorious. Pentecost is the day of the church's birthday. We commemorate His work of establishing His presence within His believers by the Holy Spirit in the beginning of a church. But can we read about it? Look with me in Acts 1, because we're going to see a story far more glorious and dynamic than the one I just shared, although the one I just shared is awesome. But we're going to see the beginning of something that made the way for stories like the story I just talked about in Bulgaria. Acts 1. So Luke, the author, and by the way, I'm going to read quite a bit this morning because I believe that the Scripture itself um, has power to transform and change us. So if you like to read, you're in luck. If you don't like to read and like to listen, you're in luck. If you don't like to read or listen, you're in luck because you can still go to sleep and you will, not, you will not be condemned. And God will tap you on the shoulder when he wants to wake you up and maybe you'll wake up right in the middle of something that's really powerful. So, you know, just be who you are. Luke, I know who you are because I see some of you sleeping every Sunday, so it's not like you're escaping, all right? So, and I still love you. All right, so Luke is the author of this book, Acts. He's, he has, he has, he's a doctor. He is, he's a historian. He actually is one who interview, has, interviews multiple people and interviews the people who have been in the presence or were in the presence of Jesus. So he's telling his historical account. Um, during those days, he was a, he was a contemporary of of the apostles and the the ones that had met with Jesus. And so he says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Now, I want to pause there for a second, because what is he talking about when he says that you've heard me speak about? And if you were here the last couple of weeks, you might have seen us um, uh, or heard, remembered me quote this scripture. But remember at the Last Supper before his crucifixion, he tells his disciples a lot of things. And in John 14, he says this, If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it's looking, it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be with you or be in you. Jesus himself living with them, he, there had been an encounter in John uh, at the end of Luke, actually, in this, in this time frame where Jesus had, 
had breathed on his disciples and they received the Holy Spirit. So the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus, who this Holy Spirit is Christ's Spirit within us. Jesus is saying, you know who I'm talking about and I'm promising you that I will pour him out. I will pour the Spirit out upon you and he will be in you. Okay, so we go back to Acts. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, that was a baptism of repentance, of sins. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. We'll talk about more, more about what that baptism looks like. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, pause here for a second. The disciples are believing in those who uh, were devout Jewish believers have been, had been anticipating for years, hundreds of years, that the Messiah would come and, and restore God's kingdom here on earth. That God would send a Messiah, a Savior of His people, and He would establish an earthly reign here on earth. And even as the disciples were walking with Jesus, they continued to ask Him, believing, are you going to be this kind of Messiah? And even after He was killed, and they kind of were disillusioned for a moment, and then He's raised back to, to life, He's walking in his glorified authority and power. They're thinking maybe he's still going to do it. He's going to do it now. He's going to establish his power and his authority on earth now. And so they're asking, are you going to do it now? And he said, you know what? That's for God to decide. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Interestingly enough, though, God was not wanting to pour out an earthly authoritative power a king power upon them. He had a different kind of power that he was going to pour out on his disciples. And as we call ourselves believers in Christ or disciples, he pours out upon us as well. But you will receive power um, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. My power will come on you, and you will be my witnesses throughout the earth. Now, they gather together in the upper room there in Jerusalem. They do as, the, as Jesus told them to do, and then we, we come to chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, so we now have kind of in the back, back of our minds what Pentecost is all about, right? Uh, this massive, uh, 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 this huge city that's already filled with um, Jewish believers, where the temple is, and then we have pilgrims that are coming to Jerusalem to celebrate this, this, uh, this celebration of Pentecost, of the harvest of the grain, the grain harvest, and also the celebration of the giving of the law um, to Moses and to his people. So at Pentecost, the day of Pentecost came, and they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And it goes on to describe, and it says, When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. And this is what Dan Snape was talking about earlier. When they heard the sound of this great rushing wind, people began to gather around this house where this room was. Because each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. Scholars question or wonder what kind of, 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 uh, of gift this was. Was this uh, the disciples all speaking a specific, specifically distinct language that everybody could hear in their own language, or was it a gift of, was it a miracle of hearing? Were the people in the crowd able to hear their language as the disciples spoke? I, I tend to believe it was a gift of hearing, because even if they all spoke a specific language, and there were thousands of people in the crowd, how in the world are they going to hear their, their language anyway, if they're all speaking at the same time? So I think it might be both, a gift of language Obviously, we know it's a gift of tongues, but I also think it was a gift of hearing because what is God trying to accomplish? He's not trying to create a crazy scene. He's trying to communicate a message. He's trying to show the people in the crowd that there is a God who is alive, who is powerful, who is supernatural, and he's going to do whatever he can do to create an opportunity so that you can hear and understand the gospel plain and simple. He's going to do whatever he can. He might even raise up a few crazy 20-year-old Texans and send them to Bulgaria and speak a foreign language that nobody can understand and worship God in the presence in the middle of a square that had never had a public worship service before so that he could get their attention by these crazy people to pour out his spirit of salvation so people could be saved and healed. Pentecost is not just a fixed moment in time. Pentecost is an expression of God's desire for people to supernaturally encounter him in his glory, salvation, and grace. This is the beginning of many multiple works of God throughout history as he establishes the church. Okay, so uh, we go on. It describes where all of these people are coming from. Hearing, hearing, the, hearing the, the, declaring the wonders of God in, their, in, in our own tongues, they said. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, you've had too much wine. Is this not just a clear picture of humanity? There's, this room is the same way, I guarantee you. If I was able to put a, put a truth detector on every person in this room... There's a group of people already, when I talked about the hole in the foot, they went, that guy is drunk. He's a lunatic. I guarantee you he's a nutcase. There are people in this room that are saying, how in the world did I walk into this building today? Cannot believe he's crazy. And at the same time, that person might be sitting right next to another person whose heart is completely sliced open and bare before God. And there is a tremble in you, wondering, amazed, could this God really be true? Is he really, as this man talks about, 
Does he really do what this man spoke about? Is he really how the scripture describes him to be? Some were asking each other, this is amazing. What is this all about? What, what is God up to? And some were saying, ha, a bunch of drunk nuts. The scripture says that. That in the presence of God, in the aroma of Christ, to some it will be the fragrance of life, and to others it will be the stench of death. As believers in the room, why are we so discouraged when people don't accept your Jesus? And when I say discouraged, I'm actually talking about why are you so offended? The scripture tells us that's going to happen. Until eyes are opened, until a person's heart is exposed, they're going to think the message of the gospel is crazy. But when the eyes are open and the heart is revealed, the wonder and the glory of God. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. <laughs> Uh, You know, people don't get drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Typically. All right. Some things have never changed. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel in the Old Testament when he said, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams, even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Joel prophesied in the Old Testament, which Peter is latching on to in this, this encounter with God at Pentecost. And I believe that Joel prophesied not just for that day, but the beginning of that day that consummates when the Lord returns. That God's power and glory will continue to be revealed among us and through us so that all who call on the name of the Lord, or let's say it a different way, all who come into the presence of God's glorious power and love and grace will have the opportunity to call on the name of the Lord Jesus before Jesus returns. We are in the days of Pentecost. It was not just one moment, but it was the establishment of a church and the revelation of a God who is present and with us, who lives in me as, his, as a believer in Him, but lives in us as the temple of the Lord, and He's wanting to display His salvation, His forgiveness, His grace, his healing, his restoration and redemption in our midst. Amen? And it doesn't have to be on the streets of Bulgaria. Can I tell you one day I was taking a shower and I was worshiping in my shower. I don't want to give too much visual here. And in the middle of my worship, I was so filled with the Holy Spirit. And what I mean by that is this. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It means that we are so full of God that our flesh is displaced. I call it the displacement theory, right? 
More of God, less of me. More of the presence of the Lord, less of my carnal desires or my, my, my wanderings or wanderings for things other than who God is. So I was in the shower, I was worshiping, I was getting filled up. God was raining down. No, I'm just kidding. And, uh, and um, see if I could just go there. And all of a sudden, I got so excited about Jesus that I hopped out of the shower, I put my clothes on. I ran through the living room. My roommate, Jeff, was there, and he was watching me going, what are you doing? I, did, I said, I didn't even say anything to him. I ran straight to the door. I stood at the door. I saw somebody walk down the street, and I said, do you know Jesus? They looked at me like I was a crazy man. I ran to them. I embraced them. I was still crazy, and we had a glorious conversation about Christ. And they sincerely took in, I can't remember what, their, what their, their, their final experience was, but there was an encounter with God with them. Now, that's the only time in my life I've ever done that. But I sensed God's presence and his leadership to share Jesus in that moment. I think that's Pentecost. I think that's what happened here, that Peter was so filled with God's awareness and God was living in him that he preached and so I'm not going to read the rest of this this sermon to you but I would encourage you to read uh, his sermon which he declares who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and and the 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 fulfillment of of Jesus in the context of the Old Testament scripture and the words of David King David and him being the descendant of the throne of David and he he presents this beautiful God-inspired sermon on the spot. I guarantee you that he did not go to seminary and prepare this sermon in advance. It was in him. And God was in him. Verse 37, And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent. Repent, meaning turn from your sin, turn from your unbelief, turn from your arrogance, turn from your pride that separates you from God. Turn from your religious works that are not going to accomplish what you hope that they will accomplish. Repent and be baptized, meaning place your identity in the one whom you're being baptized for, Jesus Christ. Give your life fully to Jesus, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all who, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Can I tell you something unbelievable about that experience? The difference between that Pentecost experience and Bulgaria for me is that the assumption that we make as we we go further, and we're not going to go further today in Acts, is that these pilgrims, Many of them probably were from Jerusalem, but many of them had journeyed to the city to worship. 
that these 3,000, and most scholars believe that that number 3,000 refers only to men, and so it could have been twice or triple the number of salvations, that they not only gave their lives to Jesus, but they radically turned around the way that they were living. They actually, many of them stayed in Jerusalem and began to live with these other believers from Jerusalem. They began to live in community together, radically supporting one another, worshiping together, and living out the commission of Christ together. Their lives were transformed. I can honestly say that all the Bulgarians that got saved did not get in the vans with us and go to the next country, nor did we stay. But guys, the point, I believe, in that last revelation is that when we come to know Jesus, it should be more than just a mental ascent. It should be more than just uh, something that we write in the description of the story of our life, but it should be what is, marks the change or the turning point in our life in encountering and loving the living God. Pentecost, we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. I think when I say that, when we say we need to be filled with this same kind of spirit, I think about the places of continual, repeated sin and the need for release in our lives. God, we need more of your Holy Spirit. I think of uh, the world that we live in, and I think about the, the confusion that uh, shouts at people day in and day out, that assaults the very core of who we are, how we see ourselves, our identity, our over-sexualized culture that, is, that has lifted up sex and sexual expression as the, the key, key achievement or the idol of our worship. I think about a culture um, overcome with greed, so much so that we elevate greed and greedy people as our leaders and our pace setters and the ones that we follow. I think about a culture that is so depraved that the scripture says that we call right wrong and we call wrong right. That we're so upside down that we can't even make sense. And I think about generations that are growing up in that that have no sense of balance or sense of, of, of rootedness in what truth really is. And I say, we need more of the Holy Spirit. Would you fill us? I think of the sick and the oppressed, both in our church and in our community, wanting more healing in their life. And I say, God, we need more of your Holy Spirit. I think of all the surround of all the thousands and hundreds of thousands of people that surround us right right now in this city in this area who have no clue of the glorious grace and salvation of Jesus. And I say, Lord, we need more of the Holy Spirit. We need more of you, God. We need more demonstration of who you are in and through our lives. We need to be filled overflowing. We can't, in, any one of us can't reach thousands of people necessarily. There might be a Billy Graham in here that might one day do that, but most of us are not going to have that calling. But we can be so filled and overflowing with God that we can impact one person around us. We can impact an office. 
We can impact a neighborhood. We can impact a classroom. We can impact a good friend or a neighbor or a relative. We can do that. Why can we do that? Because when we are overflowing with God and He spills out, whoever is near us is going to get splashed on. How full do you want to be this morning? Would you stand with me? If you are wanting more of the Holy Spirit, and and let me just say this theologically, when we come to know Jesus, the Scripture tells us that we can't even be born again without the Spirit of God. Amen? So we're not talking about, uh, I don't have you anymore and I need you back. We're not talking about, I have part of you and I need more of you, like I got a quarter of you and hopefully I'll get half of you more today. We're just talking about, the expression means, I want you to be full, I, I want my whole life to be filled and controlled by your presence. I want you to not only control and fill me with your presence and, and, and lead and direct me, but I want you to anoint me. I want you to pour out your grace upon me. I want everything that you want for me, God. That's what we're praying. So if that is you would, you, would you put your hands out in front of you? And let's just pray right now. Before we do anything else, I just want us to have an individual moment with the Lord. And and I'm not looking at you. I've got my eyes closed. I'm not looking to the left or right. And I would encourage you to do the same. It's not really, doesn't really have anything to do with the person, the people around you. It's about you and God. And with your hands stretched out, your hands are just a symbol, an expression of surrender. Lord, I surrender. This surrender might mean something different to different people. Lord, I surrender to you my life. I've never put my faith in you, Jesus. I've debated you. I've scorned you. I've mocked you. I've run from you. I've tried to pretend like you're not around. I've doubted you. I've hated you. There might be any one or more of those expressions in your own heart. And this, this, this moment right now might be your awakening to God with your hands out, your palms up. You're saying, God, I surrender. And I ask for your forgiveness. I repent. I repent of my arrogance and pride, my self-sufficiency, and I say, God, I want you in my life. Would you come in and fill me, Holy Spirit, and set me free? Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 3.17 that the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. For those of you who just prayed that prayer, receive the freedom of God. Sins forgiven. Bondage broken in the name of Jesus. Addictions 
healed or at the beginning of healing. God can heal us. Hope restored. Fill me, God, is your prayer. Some of us might have our hands out and our hands, our palms upward towards God, and you might be saying, I believe in you, Jesus. But you don't have much control of my life. I've got other idols. I've got other gods. I've got my own strength that serves me well, and I realize it really doesn't serve me well. Spirit of God, would you forgive me for taking back control of my life? And would you fill me completely, control every aspect of my thinking, my doing, my feeling? Would you fill me, Holy Spirit, today? And as God is speaking to you in that place, there might be things that uh, he is saying, do you really mean it? Do you really want me to take that? Do you really want to let go of that? Are you really finished with that? Are you ready to knock those idols off their pedestal and really place me at the center of your life? And I think God is asking you that question sincerely, and what is your answer? He doesn't want an emotional response only. He wants a response of the will to say, God, I surrender to you. Holy Spirit, would you fill me? You pray that prayer. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Fill me. There's nobody in this room that's sitting on a pedestal, I promise you. If we're all honest, there's a place of filling and surrender that we all have. So God is a corporate body. We say, fill us. Fill this temple, God, with your presence. May you be seen in all of your glory, uncompromised for all to see in us as a people we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.